0: Good evening. Just moments ago, I spoke with George W. Bush and congratulated him on becoming the 43rd president of the United States. And I promised him that I wouldn't call him back this time.
1: And welcome to Impressions of America. I'm Simon, and with me as always are Toby and Vaughan. Hi guys.
2: Hi Simon.
0: Hey Simon.
1: Today we are starting our journey into the presidency of George W. Bush by looking at the 2000 election. Uh, This is a a start of a a trilogy of shows on the the Bush presidency, and uh, we'll be looking at a number of different things and and trying to to dive into what made the Bush presidency um, Let's say an interesting one. Um, Before we dive into the details of this episode on the 2000 election, let's start by uh, sort of having a little bit of a general question uh, to kind of get us going on this this new topic of ours, this new mini-series that we're going to do on George W. Bush. So first question, and Vaughn, do you want to go first on this one? What comes to mind when you think about George W. Bush?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, So... The very first thing would be him saying strategery and (laughs) kind of the gaffes. Um, I was, what, six through 14 when he was president. Um, So I was not very politically active or uh, aware, cognizant at that time. Um, There are a lot of things I remember from the Trump president, or Jesus, um, Freudian slip there. Uh, from the Bush presidency. Um, Obviously, I remember 9-11 crystal clearly the whole day. We've talked about that before and we'll talk about it more later. Mm -hmm. Um, But most most of what I remember about Bush has been kind of filtered through my child mind um, and experiencing it for the first time as a kid and being in elementary school and having to take fucking standardized testing <laughs> oh my god we'll get more into that too um but my my grade year was the the first one that had all of the tests introduced like class of 2012 were the ones who were tested um before testing went into effect around at least Pennsylvania um, mm-hmm. so we had to do them constantly And that I definitely remember as part of the Bush presidency. Um, Yeah, most of it is really just the gaffes. And then as an adult, obviously I have some some more kind of contextual opinions about Bush, but if I'm being completely honest, those aren't the first things I think of. Uh, And that's really a disservice to my views politically and um, how I understand the 2000s, I think because I should be thinking about um, the war in Afghanistan and the financial crisis and all of the um, kind of atrocities and human rights violations that came out of the Bush administration. Um, So I'm, I'm kind of excited to do this research and fix my own kind of preconceptions, I guess, of Mm -hmm. Bush and the Bush administration. Um, And I'm excited to see where it goes.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, for, For myself, it's an interesting one because it's the first one i really remember as such um i was I, I sort of vaguely remember just like occasional headlines with um clinton but this is when i sort of start becoming aware of of the world i, I do actually remember in in a class in primary school them talking about the 2000 election and being like oh what's that what what's happening there and then I remember, you know, I remember where I was obviously on, on 9-11 and I, I kind of fallout from there and sort of starting to get into politics and, and, you know, political humor, making, making fun of, of George Bush and, you know, the, the known knowns and the unknown knowns and the known unknowns and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then things just him becoming the first president um, where you're kind of really aware of, of not just the The politics as it's happening, but also there's maybe something slightly different about this presidency, and something different about like the Iraq War, for instance. And I remember the the protests against that, and yeah. So 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 for me, this is kind of the first one that's kind of it's kind of like George Bush onwards as far as my sort of political involvement in uh, in sort of awareness. So I guess for that, it's kind of like a, a bit of a starting point between where I didn't really know anything at all to when I actually started getting involved and paying attention to this kind of stuff. Well, what about yourself, Toby? What comes to mind?
2: No, I think I, I echo the same uh, sentiments that you guys have about uh, George Bush. I mean, I wasn't really politically aware uh, or that that lucid in the time where he was uh, <laughs> the president. Uh, you know, other people will say, say different, but um, I, I I remember vividly, You know afghanistan and iraq and the and the initial uproar at the time um i remember but you know that the the people were swept into that i I remember things like uh freedom fries you know because they had the the problem with the with the french um you know not being on side uh in the 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 counter-terrorism campaigns in in the middle east and and um I, I i also remember tony blair's interactions with george bush you know tony blair seemed to be level-headed mm-hmm. intellectual um but he seemed to embrace george bush and um a, and to be honest that i it's not until i sort of grew up and became politically aware that i developed an opinion on george bush mm-hmm. he different because a lot of the presidents that i know who have existed i was developing opinions on them as soon as i interacted with them because they were historical figures that i was studying in history or, or learning about for fun but george bush was just like kind of like th- the sun or something mm. and that and so those so even though you know there's so many ideas that are latent within bush um this this uh or I say neoconservative perspective of of, of foreign policy, the um, quite right-wing policies um, that were pushed through during his uh, presidency, obviously um, compulsory testing, all all these things, but I didn't really have an opinion on them until I I developed my own opinion. And to be honest, from learning about George W. Bush, uh, it, it really becomes clear that um, his presidency um, was a shared co- collaborative presidency with Dick Cheney and uh, with, the, with the security states and, 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 the, and the, with the ideology of neoconservatism, which to be honest, like isn't something um, in contemporary times by uh, presidents like Donald Trump or by the Republican party today, um, even by Mitch McConnell, that is something that the conservatives and Republicans really stand behind. A lot of people ran away from the Bush presidency on the neoconservatism after the failures of Iraq. Uh, a lot of people ran away from Bush after the financial crisis. Um, we did get a clear sense that Bush kind of was perceived as a failure. I think everyone who was around and who was cognizant at the time uh, felt that way. But a lot of Bush, I think, remained very, very far away because we were dealing with with him in real time without the capacities or the experience to really judge him. And now we can really go back and, 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 and take a sort of critical look at Bush. I mean, even some things like the idea of compassionate conservatism um, you know, uh, it, I think it, it, it's it's quite clear that from Bush's uh, experience in Texas, um, at, you know, with some of the welfare programs that he had, and, and the education programs, and, and the high test scores of the Texas uh, students at the time, uh, it's quite clear that he he wasn't as right wing on economics as other conservatives uh, were. But 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 in in some ways, you know, two thousand seems further away in time than say 1980 because in terms of the paradigm of political economy and how we perceive the republican politics that period is 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 much clearer and much more definitive and -hmm. so there's so many things about George Bush that's uh, quite hazy and for me and I hope in this series that you know we can elucidate that
1: yeah that's a really good point I think when you look at um, the Republicans of today, I mean, you only have to look at the fact that so many of the, the anti-Trumpers within the Republican ranks are much closer to the George W. Bush um, side of things on, on the Republican uh, Republican fold. And George W. Bush in America and Tony Blair in the United Kingdom have basically been sort of removed from um, how politics are, are, are kind of done within their respective party these days, um, so yes, um, I'm sure we'll, we'll dive more into this in uh, future episodes. Um, so let, let's start this episode, uh, which is on the 2000 election, by just very quickly um, touching upon uh, where America was politically leading up to the 2000 election. So just a, a very quick uh, kind of recap on that. Uh, Vaughn, do you, do you want to kick us off there?
0: Sure. Um, so in the late 90s, um, leading into the 2000 election, we were finishing up with the Clinton presidency. Um, He had just gone through impeachment for the sex scandal with Monica Lewinsky. Um, There was a lot of distrust of the government at the time, um, and especially in the kind of social morality of Democrats, let's say, Um, that really played a huge part in the election. (laughs) we also have a democratic party who just spent 8 years in office um sliding further and further right to appease republicans um through like new democrat policies and this this kind of international shift towards neo or new liberalism um so essentially we have a very centrist democratic party and uh claiming to be centrist conservative party um, that leads into George Bush vying for the presidency in kind of his dad's legacy. Uh, George H.W. Bush was president just before Clinton, and you can really see how there's kind of posturing that leads up to George Bush running for a kind of dynasty position as president in 2000.
2: Yeah. And uh, at this time as well, you have um, Al Gore, who obviously he's um, a Democrat in many ways in the mold of Bill Clinton. He was Bill Clinton before Clinton actually ran for the, Al Gore actually ran for the presidency uh, in the 1980s um, as, as, as quite a young man and eventually agreed to be uh, Bill Clinton's vice president. And, uh, but at this time, uh, in 2000, he's actually running against Clinton a little bit. He's, he's ha- he wants to make sure that Clinton isn't really a part of this campaign. And Clinton feels uh, quite um, upset and resentful about this. First Al Gore picked um, quite hawkish uh, Connecticut Senator Joe Lieberman to be his running mate. And Joe Lieberman had been one of the people who was really, um, really accusatory of Bill Clinton during the Monica Lewinsky uh, scandal and which uh, Bill Clinton uh, definitely uh, didn't like. And so, um, but Al Gore emerges as the uh, democratic uh, nominee or prospective democratic nominee. Um, One of the really uh, important issues for Al Gore has had always been climate change, George uh, H. W. Bush uh, during the 1992 election was particularly wary about Al Gore because uh, H. W. Bush had, had, you know, was involved in the oil, oil industry and basically thought Al-, Al Gore was a radical and uh, a communist. But Al Gore actually often didn't speak that, um, you know, significantly about his actual views on climate change, and was and tried to be in many ways just like bill clinton a representative of the of the vital center at that point in time uh, in in american politics
1: so uh toby how much did america really know about george w
2: bush prior to the 2000 election i think um i don't think americans uh they the americans didn't know about George Bush's past uh, at the time, they they knew that he was a uh, obviously they knew he was a Texas governor. Um, he was perceived by the media at the time as quite a bipartisan governor, bipartisan figure, which allowed him to run on uh, the idea that he was uh, a compassionate conservative. Conservative uh, during the election. Um, but um, Americans did not know, for example, and, and things like this would come up in the stamp that, that George Bush uh, ha- had a DUI um, for you know, one, a, a drunken escapade. Uh, they did not know that about his, um, his you know, the, the, the issue with the National Guard being grandfathered into the National Guard when he feared uh, going to uh, Vietnam. And they, you know, they 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 didn't know necessarily about the fact that he was uh, a legacy appointee um, at Yale, for example, because of you know his grandfather's Prescott Bush, uh, the senator, perceived at the time as the, as the senator from, from Yale. So the Americans didn't really know that much about George Bush. Many people, um, you know, and, and this goes back to his campaign um, for campaigns in Texas you know um, people especially in his early campaigns uh, against Hans um, they tried to run against Bush as a new, new Hampshire and Connecticut liberal and and they had and rightly so because obviously H.W. Uh, Bush was from uh, Connecticut uh, and, um, and, and H.W. Bush actually had those Connecticut liberal Values, but George Bush tried um, and and was quite successful at depicting him himself basically as a Texas um, centrist, uh, an, an everyman, and um, and uh, he, he was actually quite successful at that. So Americans didn't know a significant um, amount about George Bush, and um, George Bush, I think, uh, was able to exploit that uh, in the election.
1: Yeah, I, I guess having sort of name recognition, perhaps, but perhaps without the, the baggage of your own sort of personal um, specific background was advantageous to uh, George in that regard. Um, so just looking at the, um, the sort of field of candidates on both sides then. Um, on the Republican side, um, we obviously have George W. Bush as the winner. But uh, prior to that, there were a number of different candidates that, that came up. Um, so you have John McCain, Alan Keyes, um, Steve Forbes, Pat Buchanan, amongst others. Um, but ultimately, it was uh, George Bush who won, and he, he indeed was the, the early front runner among those candidates. So, uh, Vaughn, uh, anything to, to add on any of the candidates?
0: Yeah, so um, the Republican primaries were, as you say, quite populated um and with like a wide variety of names like pat buchanan was running at one point elizabeth dole orrin hatch um and as you said john mccain and i know we've talked about john mccain before um and that i respect him very much and a lot of that respect is just emboldened by um his campaigning in opposition to Bush in the 2000 election. Um, So for one, McCain was really trying to run on policy. Um, And there's a lot of criticism about the Bush campaign for how they handled this because they (laughs) wanted to run more on domestic issues and specifically social issues. And um, Bush was, for example, uh, endorsed by Bob Jones University, and John McCain called this out and said, do you really want an endorsement by a university that banned interracial dating on campus? Um, he called out Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, the televangelists, and called them, quote, agents of intolerance, um, he was having none of this kind of social conservative bullshit in this election. And in response to that, the Bush campaign is criticized as having been slinging mud. Um, and I don't know if there's full evidence for this, but there were accusations that the Bush administ- or Bush campaign team had leaked rumors that John McCain's adopted Bangladesh Bangladeshi born daughter um was actually an african-american child whom john mccain fathered out of wedlock and like things got very ugly and john mccain was um determined to kind of keep it a clean cleaner campaign than that and not sink to either slandering (laughs) the other candidates or um campaigning on these social conservative issues in favor of uh, maintaining policy decisions. Um, He eventually dropped out two days after Super Tuesday when it was clear that Bush was going to be the nominee. uh, And all of the other um, uh, candidates had also dropped out well prior to that. Uh, And Bush really solidified it very quickly in the primaries. But McCain really made a name for himself even more in this election. And I think that helped him to win the actual um, primary nomination in 2008.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can see the difference in approach between Bush and McCain, Bush actually um, he he started his uh, campaign at the U, U, uh, University of Grenville in, in South Carolina when he was in South Carolina, and um, which was facing uh, difficulties with the IRS because they were failing to admit black students at the time. So the framing was that Bush was the the candidate for you know sort of cultural conservatism. And, uh, and he was running uh, against McCain on that. Actually, so much, uh, as Vaughan said, so much work was done in terms of robocalls and telephone banks and emails to try to spread rumors about McCain's child, but also to try to uh, attack um, McCain's uh, Vietnam records and uh, the groups that the, uh, McCain was associated with um, during Vietnam um cindy mccain was depicted as a drug drug, drug addict uh, who who uh, stole pharmaceuticals uh, to, to sustain her her habits and um but uh, as everyone said you know people like carl rove uh, have claimed um for years that they did not uh, that they did not do this but uh, and, and, and despite this all actually mccain mccain won new hampshire um, despite the difficulties in, in South Carolina, where the Bush campaign went hard on the sort of the, the racial angle, he won um, South Carolina as well. But um, by Super Tuesday, uh, the, the Republican Party had really uh, come behind the Bush campaign and, and, and actually in part because Bush just had much more money than, than John McCain. Uh, had more, far more endorsements, and um, and it was seen as as, as Bush's time. It's, I
1: just
0: it's wanted, quite kind of, I'm sorry when you go on. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say it's quite kind of ironic that um, Bush's campaign was allegedly responding to the um, to Clinton's impeachment and sex scandals and the moral kind of corruption of the Democratic Party by running on a platform of restoring honor and dignity to the white house and then there's all of this kind of shady very kind of abhorrent um accusations being thrown around about mccain and some things that happen later in the the election um that the republican leadership council starts running ads for other candidates to split the vote and it's it's just how is that restoring honor and dignity to the White House?
1: Well, I mean, I think it. it you're absolutely correct. I think it just shows once again the sort of surf, surface level uh, niceness which Republicans often present um, when, underneath, kind of everything they do, it, it's built on either um, trying to get some um, unfair advantage for themselves or just out, outright discrimination. Um, so, yeah, it's. You're absolutely correct, but I think it does absolutely just um, summarize where where Rep- the Pro- Republican Party is and where it has been for decades now. Um,
2: and on the Democrat side, um, the House uh, minority leader dropped out very, very early. See, Gore was so strong. Uh, Gore also deposed of a primary challenge from the neoliberal New Jersey Senator uh, Dollar Bradley, Quite e- easily, um, a, a study f- by the Project for Excellence in Journalism and Princeton Survey Research Association examined um, one thousand one hundred forty-nine stories at the time uh, during the Democratic primary, and and it and the the analysis showed uh, that uh, the the sentiment was incredibly favorable to Gore um, in this in this period, and actually that Gore's um, Gore's work to try to dismiss the links between him and Bill Clinton, especially on matters of uh, Monica Lewinsky, mm-hmm. were very, very successful uh, during the, the primary as well and um, but reporters were I think reporters were quite uh, unhappy um, because um, Gore did not try to um, make a, a moral case against uh, Clinton. And didn't really, and um, and they they found Gore on the campaign trail to be quite slippery and quite eggheaded, as opposed to George Bush. Uh, you know, despite the fact that you know the, the gangster tactics in South Carolina against uh, John McCain, it was the Gore campaign which was seen as uh, quite slippery and, um, and difficult uh, by by reporters at this time. Even though Gore made quick work of his uh, challenger and in the primary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think for comparison, uh, looking at the delegate totals, um, George W. Bush won with 1,526. And the next uh, competitor there was John McCain with 275. Whereas on the the Democratic side, you're you're looking at Al Gore with 4,328 and uh, abstentees of nine. So um, we are talking about pretty much a coronation from the uh, Al Gore side of things. But there Uh, was
2: one other factor at the time which was the Ralph Nader factor, uh, Mm -hmm. which um, Democrats, um, you know, in the years since have come to talk about with a lot of venom. But, you know, uh, Nader actually ran in 1996, but to no aplomb at all because of the strength of Bill Clinton at the time. Um, So Ralph Nader uh, ran a campaign um, and um, there were... It was kind of like a McGovern uh, type campaign. There was a lot of young people. A lot of uh, civil rights groups were attached to to him at the time. I mean, the 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 threat that he posed to the Gore candidacy was well understood at the, at the time. And, and Gore did try to um, try to associate himself instead of running away from Ralph Nader. He tried to associate himself with Nader. Uh, on the stump, on the campaign trail, in order to get the young people who were attracted to Nader's campaign uh, towards him.
1: Yeah, that's just worth mentioning that um, we do have uh, Ralph Nader for the Association of State Green Parties, um, and then we have the uh, Reform Party with uh, Pat Buchanan um, as its candidate, and uh, (laughs) other candidates that were mentioned include Donald Trump, and obviously he never went on to anything politically. So we can just mm. all joke about that. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting that um, we do have these parties and they will come up a bit later, um, especially around forward, actually, with the Pat Buchanan one. It is, um, I I don't, I suppose for myself, I don't necessarily think of 2000. I, I think of 2000 as being such a head-to-head between those two, that uh, between Gore and Bush, that maybe my mind isn't immediately drawn to Ralph Nader, but you're absolutely right. There is um, absolutely um, that that did absolutely play a part in, in how things played out, and indeed with uh, the Buchanan, and specifically some of the, the voting in Florida, um, how that played out as well. Um, so that's that's the candidates um, on the on the uh, running mate side of things and how kind of things kind of came together. Um, yeah, how 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 was the how was the election from from the point of post selecting their candidates how, how did how did things play out up to the election and I'm thinking things in, in terms of, of running mates and ideology of the candidates and, and tv debates and that kind of thing uh
2: well I mean on the the republican side obviously you had Dick Cheney um the, you know the the story goes that uh, Bush asked Dick Cheney to help him select uh, a group of uh, perspective um candidates to be his his running mate but um you know in their failure to to find one cheney cheney basically uh, and bush decided that cheney would probably be the best uh person um to be his running mate obviously the one problem that that, that cheney perceived uh, he he would he ha- he would have was that his daughter was uh, homosexual but uh, Bush didn't think at the time that that was uh, particularly a barrier to him becoming um, his, his running mate. Uh, but Cheney uh, famously was not a, a particularly good campaigner, uh, he saw himself more as a, as a policy mind and um, he, he obviously supported Bush on, on the campaign but it was Bush's His his energy, his his likability, his his warmth, uh, you know, throughout the campaign, that that was really the draw of the campaign. Um, Joe Joe Lieberman was picked because, uh, you know, he had been an outspoken he had been outspoken against uh, Bill Clinton on the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Uh, He was Bill Buckley's uh, favorite, uh, one of Bill Buckley's favorite politicians. He was considered to be actually kind of center right um, and, uh, and that's why Al Gore felt at this time when, when you know the, the, the country was a little bit you know, further to the right than it is perhaps now in terms of fiscal policy that uh, Joe Luberman would be a good uh, uh, running mate uh, for him but this is something that uh, Bill Clinton actually resented as well.
0: Yeah, there was a, a lot of focus. I mean, as we've all said already, but there was so much focus in this election um, on the social issues. And it's kind of wild because, um, as we've talked about before on this podcast, the Reagan elections were also quite uh heavily focused on social issues and there was very little kind of conversation about actual policy um, on campaign trails and this has become the republican standard right of going hard on social issues and culture wars and then bringing up like one or two policy decisions that they're going they're going to kind of champion um if they even go into detail on them at all Sometimes, especially more frequently recently, um, it's more just kind of buzzwords of like, immigration and then the crowd at the super rally cheers and it's wild. Um, but this this campaign was so heavily focused on um, Gore shifting away from Clinton and distancing himself from those scandals and Bush kind of trying to lay into them uh, and paint the Democrats as Uh, socially irresponsible and like we've been talking about this breakdown for years now that the Republicans um, ever since that kind of social conservative shift in the late 70s they target the the culture wars the social wars and the Democrats do not know how to respond to it and it's wild to look back 22 years ago now at the 2000 election and realize that the Democrats still have not figured out how to respond to this they try to press policy and distance themselves and claim to be above the culture war kind of bullshit, but they can't win when they take the policy route. And I wish they could, because I think it's asinine that we focus on social issues during campaigns, social issues that have nothing to do with like actual policy. And it's like we saw with Glenn Youngkin in Virginia uh, this past year, when he pulled critical race theory out of like nowhere and he was using it so masterfully while Terry McAuliffe was just like bemused about it and he had no idea how to actually respond and he just said well that's not what it is and handed out copies of Beloved but didn't actually respond to Mm -hmm. the, the criticisms and like we've been playing this game for fucking ever where the two major parties are campaigning for like different jobs at this point where like their campaigns don't reflect anything about the actual job they're applying for and I think I think this election the 2000 election is a really solid example of that and how it has how it grew from the Reaganite kind of playing around with social conservatism and then this is the midway point to how just Fucking bizarre it is now that Tucker Carlson can be like m ms aren't sexy anymore and like <laughs> like we can see the through line from Reagan to Bush to Tucker Carlson and it's just it blows my goddamn mind thinking about this 22 years later how the the Democrats still don't have a response
2: and overall that the IQ of this election was a little bit lower than than general in general I would say that's because you had the compassionate conservatism of Bush and then Al Gore, who was perceived as a sort of dead centrist, it was in many ways like the 1960 election, as in like the these two weren't super far away from each other mm-hmm. po- politically, but it, it was very far away from the 1960 election in terms of like the, the, the intelligence and uh, eloquence of uh, the candidates, obviously, uh bush uh was, was seen as you know, to fail and to pronounce uh, certain words he can never pronounce nuclear He posted nuclear and tariffs and barriers became barriffs and tarriers uh greeks was grecians and uh, urban uh pollution uh tailpipe emissions was uh tail p- pipes uh so you could see there's a lot of um yeah, and Bush would use words on on you know, like people would be talking about things, and Bush would use colloquialisms like "gob with your goop," you know, just to get out of like, um, mm-hmm. pol- you know, policy discussions and and things like that. Um, and yeah, and and but it, but Gore had some um, flips uh, and uh, faults like that on the the campaign trail as well, not not as much as Bush, but yeah, it's, it's it just seems like the. The intellectual temperature of the the campaign was a little bit lower than uh, we had been used to.
0: That's kind of also a a Reagan tradition, isn't it, of like, just trying to get out of questioning or uh, walk around policy issues by being kind of charming and having gaffes and saying things like... um, just oh i i i'll have to get back to you on that question but with like a wink and a a nod kind of thing that's reagan really perfected that i think and we we talked about that as well on the the reagan trilogy of his kind of uh foundations in radio and hollywood influencing his just kind of charisma as a politician but i think i i think that's also a through line for republicans from reagan through bush and definitely through trump of finding these kind of almost charming ways of getting around actually answering questions and democrats well democrats can be charming too i mean clinton and obama definitely laid on the schmaltz and charisma but maybe it's just a politician problem I'm yeah, working but, through my own problem in my head. I think it's a politician thing.
2: I think both of the, Clinton and Obama are very, very charismatic, probably the, the two most charismatic political figures in America in the last like 50 years, maybe. Mm. But yeah. they were also, you know, like the, the biography of, of, of Bill Clinton is first in this class, isn't it? And uh, Obama is the, the PhD um, president. So the, yeah, this is a the match between policy and, and charisma. But uh, the Republicans were were leaning much less on that now. I th- mm-hmm. it's it's really great that you you brought up Reagan because it's, it's, I mean that's it's, it's right. It's, it's it's the reason. But also like H.W. Bush, in many ways, is seen as an interregnum uh, mm-hmm. on this because uh, you can remember in the debates in 1992 and how unhappy he was, you know, with the the tenor of the, the debates. Uh, he he campaigned against Reagan uh, in 1980 in that um, in that primary, uh, bringing graphs and and charts and and analysis and stuff. But George Bush, George W. Bush, appealed to Reagan much more and understood mm-hmm. Reagan much more than his father did. His father obviously was an old man, but really a businessman. But well, Bush was a far lighter, you know, intellectually probably out of choice you know it's not like uh, bush wasn't you know someone with, with the capacity he's just like he just culturally wasn't as uh, as studied and, and and as serious as uh, a politician as his father and and he appreciated reagan much more and talked about actually reagan more you know on the campaign trail than he t- he he was talking about his father
1: um Before we go any further, I'd just like to get your guys' thoughts on kind of this idea for Gore then heading into the election, that he's having to do a difficult balancing act because on one hand, Bill Clinton actually is pretty popular in in the polling, uh, relatively speaking, for presidents. And in fact, by looking at Gallup poll here, by November 2000, he's around about 63% on approval compared to 33%. Um, disapproval. And you've got this state where, for perhaps certain people or, or relatively large proportion of, of people in America, Clinton himself is quite popular and the economy is doing pretty well. And yet, Gore has to kind of position himself in many ways as, as sort of the non sleazy version of Clinton and he has to sort of separate himself in some ways. I was wondering, what do you guys think about? how Gore was having to do sort of deal with that. And and do we think that if Clinton didn't have the Monica Lewinsky scandal and he was, you know, a sort of cleaner president, as it were, do we think Gore would be, do you think Gore would have won, essentially? Do do we think that Gore was struggling or struggled um, to kind of fully um, remove himself and at the same time, also keep himself close enough to someone who is both disliked and yet at the same time, relatively liked. It's a bit, bit of an odd one for, for a vice president to have to, to walk a balancing act on a president and on a country which is kind of doing well, but at the same time has got a major sleaze against it.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, <laughs> there's so many. Things that could have won go this uh, election, <laughs> <laughs> like counting votes. Yeah, I mean, if if Pat Buchanan wasn't on the board yeah. he would have won. but yeah, the
1: fact it was that close, considering how well America—I mean, you only have to look at—you know—George H.W. Bush won in eighty-eight, and he was falling on from from Reagan. And do, do do we feel that um really this should have been a home run for the Democrats, but they found a way to sort of shoot themselves in the foot?
2: Yep. <laughs> I mean. Well, I, 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 it's diff- it's really difficult to say as because, as you said, like um, even going into the impeachment hearings, uh, his approval rating was at sixty percent, and then after the impeachment hearings, <laughs> his approval rating was at seventy percent, and he was like one of the most popular presidents at this time in his presidency of all time. But for Gore going on the campaign trail he was having to defend himself against accusations of immorality by the Bush by the Clinton presidency which in some ways didn't make sense because Clinton was so successful but made sense because the way the framing of the election kind of caged Gore in in a way and the reporters found Gore's efforts to squirm away from Clinton's uh, many how uh, White House scandals to be f- offensive uh, particularly because he was employing um, legalistic uh, language uh, and um, and 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 again so like uh, that's that's what Clinton meant for gore even though gore did have a strong economy to run on he had a, a president with a strong approval rating to, to run on, um, there was some difficulties with the 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 Clinton legacy just from a question and answer standpoint, just from a campaigning standpoint that really caged him. Uh, in in Florida, uh, specifically, there had been the Elian uh, Gonzalez issue. So Elian Gonzalez was a young uh, cuban boy who had come on a boat with his with other members of his family and the family drowned and uh died and, but Elian drifted onto the american uh, florida shore and was taken in by you know sort of uh, p- people of his extended family and the the clinton white house pushed back uh, against Keeping Elian because Elian's father in communist Cuba wanted to keep him, and obviously the hierarchy of guardianship means that Elian should go back to, with his father. But Cubans wanted to keep Elian uh, in in Miami, and that became a really big issue. And Gore, because Gore was very uh, tutored and disciplined in running away from the Clinton White White House, uh, you know, or, or on. the Monica Lewinsky scandal and and trying to de-emphasize his relationship with Clinton also is trying to de-emphasize his relationship with Clinton in Florida as well. So that's the kind of approach that uh, Gore was taking.
1: So let's move on to election day itself then. Um, Heading in, the polls are are sort of relatively close between the two, but George uh, w bush has been ahead for the most part even if it's been uh relatively slim margin at times so heading in we're we're kind of looking at a, a pretty close election and it, it plays out that way and i guess for myself who wasn't really there there at the time in any any meaningful way I, I guess um you you kind of just you remember the florida office all and you 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 hear you know stories of sort of things being called and then recalled and then days of litigation over it but it's actually a really interesting election just even prior to that and the, the way it plays out. So you've kind of got some early states being called for Bush. Um, Indiana is called for Bush. Kentucky's called for Bush. This is around about 6 p.m. Eastern time. Um, as things go on, uh, Bush has kind of got a lead by about 8 o'clock. Um, he's had Virginia. He's had uh, Georgia. Um, at 10 to 8, Florida is actually called for Gore. But as we know, that's uh going to be reversed once uh more um uh once more votes come in and you'll actually look if you actually look through a timeline of it all quite a lot of this is it's just too close to call in all these states so like north carolina west virginia um you really are coming down to um states that are a lot of the time just being declared too too close to call for for a lot of it you've got pennsylvania and tennessee kind of later on so By about 8 o'clock, you have uh, George Bush sitting at uh, 121, and Al Gore sitting at 119, and undecided is 88, and uh, not allocated is 210. So you've got, I mean, even just by 8 o'clock there, you've got a really close election, which is, you know, got sort of two votes in it, as as, as it were, or uh, two electoral votes in it, with still more to be called. So as the evening goes on, you get Alabama called for Bush, you get uh, Maine and Pennsylvania called for Gore, but you still have other states, you know, around nine o'clock, Arizona, Colorado, um, just too close to call Minnesota. And so by the time um, we kind of take on towards 10 o'clock, Bush is in the lead and you've got um, Idaho called for Bush, Montana called for Bush. Uh, Utah called for Bush. And so around about 10 o'clock, you're sitting at Bush at 197 and Gore at 167. Then as as things proceed, uh, again, it's it's still looking good for Bush. And you've got New Hampshire called for Bush, uh, Missouri, West Virginia, and New Mexico called for Gore. So um, by 11 o'clock, things have actually started to change because you've got California called for Gore. And which was always likely to happen. And those 54 electoral votes actually put Gore ahead uh, alongside the Hawaii uh called for Gore as well. So by 11 o'clock, you've got um Bush on 217 and Gore on 230. Um but so the, the probably the, the main thing to take out of this is that Florida is kind of up in the air as, as things are going. So as I said at, at 10 to 8, you had Al Gore being declared the the victor in Florida, but by 9.30, uh, things are more uncertain and the networks are actually um, sort of reversing their calls and and, and are retracting it. And so by 10 o'clock, yeah, they they begin to retract and and it's too close to call. And then it's kind of early the next morning, I've got here at 2.15, Bush appears to take a decisive lead in Florida. Some estimates have Bush leading Gore by 50,000 votes networks project Bush to be the winner of Florida and the presidency, and that's around about uh, 2.20 a.m. And at 2.30 a.m., this is November 8th, Gore calls Bush to concede the election. Um, Three o'clock, Gore leaves the hotel room in Nashville, Tennessee. So he's actually heading to the War Memorial Plaza where he plans to address his supporters. and then 3.15, Gore advisors call the vice president to tell him Bush's lead in Florida has diminished dramatically, so he returns to his room without addressing his supporters. And then 3.30, Gore calls Bush back to retract his concession. Uh, networks retract the projection that Bush wins Florida between uh, 3.57 and 4.15 a.m. and the, the states reverts to too close to call. The presidency is once again undecided. So as far as um, sort of election uh, night is concerned, You're, you've are you got a lot of back and forth as to how it's actually playing out with a lot of states too close to call. And obviously, particularly Florida is, is, the, is the one that it essentially comes down to in the end. And you've got a, a position where, for the first time ever, <laughs> a candidate is ready to concede and then sort of withdraws that. Um, Florida is really... If there was going to be one state to kind of let this play out and it was kind of bad news for Democrats that it was going to be Florida, not only because Florida itself is hilarious just in its own right, but it's also worth remembering that um, (laughs) soon to be President Bush's brother is actually governor at this time as well. And um, what kind of of comes next in Florida is... um, what we've talked about in the past on the show has kind of been the, the end point of, of the 20th century. Um, we we sometimes talk about the 20th century ending on nine 11 or sometimes when George W. Bush is elected. And, um, we are, as I'm speaking now, I'm talking about sort of 4am on November 8th within, you know, a few more days. Um, it's, it's going to be, um, the end of the 20th century. Um, and uh, December before it gets resolved, but it, I think f- it's worth kind of taking stock before we get into the details of Florida. That what's going to play out now is essentially going to define the next few years of the 21st century. And in fact, you could you could say it kind of defines everything in American politics from the 21st f- from that day onwards. Um, and I, I think it's we we. We talk in hyperbole about every election and saying, oh, this is the one that really matters. And to some degree or another, that often is or isn't the case, depending on how you want to view it. But you think about how differently American, politi- um, how, how differently American politics plays out, uh, both just with the Supreme Court ruling that we get, but more specifically with the presidents so that are going to be in charge as these big events happen. Um, it is fascinating to think about what comes next. So... Um, Guys, I don't know um, who wants to kind of lead us into Florida, and who wants I think to I'll, just, I'll, I'll do it. Who who wants to tell us what a hanging chad is and all that kind of stuff?
2: So, hmm. uh, just just going into Florida, um, I think I, what I had talked about previously about the Illean Gonzalez issue is really important because Bill Clinton had won, uh, no, won forty percent of the votes in Florida uh, in the previous election, which had allowed um, was really. Uh, good, good for him and was really, really strong um, Showing in the States But um, The, the uh, Gore campaign Needed to get around That same amount in Florida But people in Florida Especially in Miami Were very upset with The Clinton Presidency because they Of the Ilean Gonzalez Issue um, Ilian Gonzalez was an Im- immigrant boy who'd come to Florida from Cuba and the federal government went to the house of Ilian Gonzalez and uh, with with guns, uh, this uh, it's been uh, depicted on South Park and uh, they went in there and they took the, the child and they brought him back to Cuba, uh, to his father, which created a lot of resentment towards the Democrats in Florida, the the, the, the mayor of um, Miami-Dade, Alex, uh, Penalis, uh, and and was a Democrat and one of the leading lights on Florida politics at the time. Uh, during the campaign trail, him and Al Gore were supposed to meet, but um, uh, to do a press conference. But uh, he went off to Spain instead of doing the press conference at all. And uh, during the Ilian Gonzalez issue, Cubans in Miami rioted for days because of the issue. And Alex Bernalis actually walked with the Cubans uh, at that time, which sets the context for why Republicans were super, super successful in um, changing the narrative uh, in Florida and in influencing the election uh, in, in the way they did. So once you have um, the, the election being really close, uh, one last thing I wanted to add to Simon's um, uh, timeline was, uh, when gore calls bush back uh to t- to retract his concession and bush is again you know, i've never heard i've been in politics a long time I've never heard of anyone dragging his concession bush tells gore that jeb says that he's won, and then gore says i don't care what your little brother says and uh and and from from that moment two guys who didn't like each other at all uh bush and gore um, they both set out to get um, legal assistance uh, d- during the the process, and um, and Al Gore uh, obviously he'd won the, the popular vote by two hundred and thirteen votes. Uh, they obviously they're both short of two hundred and seventy before uh, the state of Florida uh, six million votes total in Florida, uh, nine hundred and eighty seven uh, separated them. Um, Katherine Harris, chair of the Bush campaign, it was actually the Secretary of State for Florida. Uh, Two Democratic legislators told ABC News she was trying to hand the campaign to Bush. Both parties uh, sent in uh, former Secretary of State, uh, Warren Christopher for the Democrats, James Baker for the Republicans. Warren Christopher was seen uh, by many as someone who thought of this process, uh, Roger Stone has has said it, thought of this process is really a philosophical question. You know, he was trying to protect the sanctity of the Republic and all this, and and, um, Republicans didn't see this uh, that way at at all. Um, So that Republicans went to uh, Palm Beach uh, where voters were angry because of the way that the ballots had been structured. with um, the, the 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 way the ballots were, were done in Palm Beach, in the Palm Beach area, uh, a lot of people had pricked the the ballot for uh, the butterfly ballot. A lot of people had picked the ballot for Al Gore, but had got Pat Buchanan, and uh, and and that had actually happened to thousands of people. But these ballots were thrown out, uh, or they were either, or they were given to Pat Buchanan and Pat Buchanan was actually asked on television. Um, Do you think you got these many votes in Palm Beach? And Pat Buchanan said, yes, I did get that many votes, but I think those people were trying to vote for Al Gore. And so, which was, you know, a moment of uh, clearness uh, in in that conversation, but obviously the the Bush campaign uh, were were very much uh, against uh, what he, he was saying. So Bush was now leading Al Gore by 200 votes. Al Gore was saying that there are more than enough uncounted votes to decide the election, Thou- thousands of ballots which showed no vote for president. Uh, people were calling this undervotes. Bush was saying that there, these votes did not choose to vote for, for president. Uh, Miami-Dade County had a, 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 an out-of-date IBM punch card voting system that wasn't uh, functioning properly. If, if you did vote at the end of the day, and this went through. These were just like uh, dimpled ballots. Large amounts of these uh, undervotes were coming from underserved counties. Gore was explaining the machine uh, can sometimes misread the way the ballots are checked. Democrats wanted to count the votes. Republicans uh, didn't want to count the votes. Um, there was, uh, and then that was in Palm Beach, in in Miami Day. Uh, three judge. There was a three judge panel that was uh, put together. Uh, to To decide whether um, election the counting would go uh, would continue and there would be the the recounts um, and and these three eventually decided that it, there there would be a recount there uh, which was um, met um, vigorously by the George Bush campaign George W Bush filed the first lawsuit. Um, obviously wanted to, to continue bush wanted to discount the ballots uh the butterfly ballots and the uh, the hanging chad uh, dimple ballots um the republicans sent 75 operatives to florida both in palm beach and in miami day county to try to control the narrative uh they worked a lot on cuban uh on right-wing Cuban radio, they 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 dug into the Ilian Gonzalez issue that uh, invigorated a lot of Cubans, and they basically started to say and put up posters that the election was being stolen, uh, the election was being stolen, and um, and uh, Gore, uh, but and then there was a, again it shows you you know the difference between the Republicans and the Democrats on 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 issues of of this kind. There actually was. Um, some pressure on Al Gore to get his own people into Miami to do campaigning. Uh, Reverend the Reverend uh, Jesse Jackson wanted to go to uh, Miami and do that, but Al Gore was too um, he was too sensitive about the prospect of violence uh, in in Miami, especially because you had a, a, a very angry and invigorated um, constituents of Cubans uh, there uh, at the time as well so on um, so by by now uh, we've sort of moved on from the 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 sort of analysis of uh what was happening in terms of voters and undervotes and different kinds of votes and i think we we probably can move on to uh what was happening in the uh federal district court in miami unless of course uh, Vaughan has anything to say about uh, the ballots
0: Um, no, you guys you guys both really covered most of it. I think the only thing that I would add is like the electoral college is such bullshit
1: that... <laughs> I was expecting like... this. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what what words are Vaughn gonna to use to describe how, how the election goes? And it went she went with bullshit. So well done, Vaughn.
0: Yeah, there's your bingo card for you. Um, no, the electoral college, it just it fucking sucks. Like the morning after the election, there were several states that were still too close to call or that were um, undecided yet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And because the, the morning after the election, like Bush had 246 electoral votes and Gore had 250 out of the necessary 270 So Wisconsin's 11 electoral votes and Oregon's seven meant literally nothing. Like their votes, those two states, their votes didn't count in this election. And we're all just cool with that for some reason. That like two states, whether it doesn't matter who they go to, neither of them can push them over the 270. So it only came down to Florida. And like, why don't we care more about that? That those two states don't have a say in who the president is in this election you know what I mean I can bitch about that for a while but you two nailed the Florida stuff so
2: yeah basically like one person's vote means more than another person's vote yeah disenfranchisement it's not
0: (laughs) yeah it literally (laughs) is oh my god and don't even get me started on that I when I was doing this research I got so goddamn mad about the the decision the supreme court decision because I've I've known what the Supreme Court decision is, mm-hmm. but I didn't know the grounds that they used for it. And Toby, do you want to go into the Supreme Court?
2: No, you could do it. Yeah, mm. go for it, Vaughn.
0: Okay. All right. Let me get riled up then.
1: Yep. That sound you hear is Vaughn just chugging her last glass of wine before she
0: goes through <laughs> on this. I wish. I haven't had wine in so long. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, getting up to speed with the the kind of controversy over the Supreme Court cases. So the Florida Supreme Court um, had allowed for an extension uh, for the deadline of the the recounts in four of the contested counties. Um, and Catherine Harris, the Secretary of State for Florida, and also Bush's co-chair of his campaign, because apparently that's allowed also, um, she announced that she would reject any of the revised totals from those counties if they weren't turned in by the statutory deadline of November 14th. So the Florida Supreme Court extended the deadline to the 26th and then the US Supreme Court overturned that extension. Um, On November 26th, the canvassing board had certified that Bush was the winner. By 537 votes, and Gore formally contested the certified results. So, Supreme Court Justice Scalia, everybody's favorite, issued an opinion. Oh, Scalia. <laughs> every, uh, he issued an opinion overturning the Florida Supreme Court ruling that ordered the recounting of 70,000 ballots that had been previously rejected by machine counters. And Scalia's position was that counting the votes of quote questionable legality would quote threaten irreparable harm to the petitioner being bush so like the position was that like bush would lose if they did this and it's more complicated than that but then on december 12th the supreme court ruled that a statewide recount was unconstitutional on equal protection grounds which just my God, that is a wild claim. Like the this decision it it formally ended the recount um and held the previously certified totals, meaning that Bush won the election. But they use equal protection as the the justification that the Fourteenth Amendment um was the reason they couldn't have a recount because it would be unfair to recount votes um, and to like allow some ballots in some counties that wouldn't be counted in other counties because there is no statewide kind of standard it's the the standard is quite subjective so the supreme court said it's not fair if we do a recount because we don't know how each county is going to vote or count the ballots and that could open up speculation as to whether everyone's vote actually counts and if that's your fucking position then no vote counts in this election like why? why do we have federal elections that allow each state to decide different rules on how people vote i it just it makes me so goddamn mad and then to use the 14th amendment to justify it goddamn
1: You know, in in the past, we've talked about, I think probably more so in group chats uh, than maybe on on here, but we've talked about whether or not America is too big a country to kind of be allowed to sort of exist in itself. And I think the fact that voting and counting votes is so difficult in America, at least that has been, is an indication that there's just something wrong that we can't or America can't sort of have some sort of sort of federal level ability to count these things, where, I mean, Britain is broken in many different ways. But for the most part, we can at least count things, you know, there's votes come in, and whether or not the candidates are terrible, or, or good, and most of the time in Britain, they're terrible. At least, I don't generally sort of go to bed, and then wonder if it's going to take like three weeks to count something. Um, and whether or not the, the, the actual voting mechanism itself is broken. I remember um, there was Americans were like I remember there was Amer- American piece of news, and um, when they were talking about the Scottish independence referendum, and they were amazed at how simple the question was, just how like simply worded it was, so that people could vote yes or no on it and understand what they meant when they voted. And I was just like, why Why do you not have that kind of simple approach in America? You know, why is that so difficult for mm. for a country with supposedly Such a great, you know, sort of uh, country infrastructure, and then you remember that actually infrastructure in America is often terrible, Um, and And
0: we don't want people voting.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of of bad faith. Like, let's throw away ballots that clearly show that people voted, even Mm -hmm. though they punched through. Clearly show that they they voted for a person. Let's just throw those those ballots out in underserved uh, communities uh, because we don't want them. To vote, you know, let's let's um, let's look at the voting rolls and try to eliminate as many people as, mm-hmm. as we can. I mean, it's just, it's. I think it's done for in, invidious, <laughs> you know, reasons and, and absolutely. As well. And, and it's, it's it's funny. Like also, you have to say that you know, that when you talk about the federal and the state and the local, there's just too many lawyers in in America and too many opportunities for lawyers to act. You know, but Supposedly in impartial ways, but in you know in, in ways with with clear agendas. So obviously you had the federal district court uh, in, in Leon County say that you know the mandatory reporting deadline is is mandatory. So there is there should be no uh, recounts. And then you go to the Supreme Court of Miami, where the they they do say that uh, you 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 should have a you should have a recount. And then uh, Ted Olson files a, p- a petition to the Supreme Court, knowing that the Supreme Court is where you know, the, the conservatives are dominant and that you can have a, a partisan vote on whether there should be a continuation of the, the counting in, a, in an election. And it's just literature. There isn't, there isn't a science here. It's just... And, and, th- and th- this is why um, people are unhappy with the process or don't think that institutions work or the institutions aren't fair you know you have to have at least some level of um consistency across all these these institutions some sort of like scientific consistency that means that people believe in the process because and 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 as both of you said some continuity across all of these states because if there isn't then you're going to continually have legislation put in and then removed on voting rights, on increasing the voting rolls, on decreasing the voting rolls, as if the franchise itself is a political issue when it isn't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, in the end, George Bush is elected president. Is there anything else we want to say on on Florida or around this before we, we move on from the actual sort of well, I was going to say election date, election month.
0: I think I think there's one other interesting thing here that on January 6th, 2001, um, 20 years to the day of our January 6th, mm, yes, um, the joint session of Congress meant to certify the electoral vote, yep. and um, 20 members of the House filed objections to the electoral votes of Florida, but no senators co-sponsored these objections, uh, hiding behind the Supreme Court's ruling. And Al Gore, who was still the president, the sorry, vice president at the time, um, was therefore presiding over the certification mm-hmm. and had to rule each of the objections out of order. Uh, and the following day, the electoral votes from all 51 boards were certified. And no one stormed the Capitol. Um, but it's just... How, how
2: would liberals storm the
0: Capitol? Though? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Right. That's...
2: You know, their ink yeah. pens and their fountain. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. They'd probably just write a poem about it or something.
0: Yeah, be stuck in the center between the White House and Capitol. Um, I think another interesting thing about this election is that um, Gore did win the popular vote. Yep. And bush still won the election based on the electoral college um and he was the this was the fourth election for that to happen in uh of the five that have so 1824 john quincy adams won um the electoral without the popular 1876 rutherford b hayes 1888 benjamin harrison and then 2016 with donald trump but benjamin harrison is an interesting one because what happened in that election in 1888, is that Benjamin Harrison was the grandson of former President William Henry Harrison. So we had a dynasty in that election as well. And Grover Cleveland was the Democrat running for re-election as the incumbent. He was the 22nd President of the United States. He won the popular, lost the electoral, and Republican Benjamin Harrison became president and then in 1892 Cleveland ran again um, against the incumbent Benjamin Harrison and he won making him both the 22nd and 24th presidents of the U.S. but I find it really interesting that um, Gore probably could have pulled a Grover Cleveland if it hadn't been for 9-11 and some of the things that we'll talk about leading up to the 2004 election but we, we have a kind of parallel there in American history in the late 1800s and 2000 that um, it's just really interesting with with dynastic kind of presidential mm. candidates.
1: Oh, no, absolutely. That's a really good point. No,
0: abs-
2: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's strange because people actually thought that it was going to be the other way around, that Gore was going to win yeah. the, the Electoral College and Bush was going to win the popular vote. But now... We have a serious problem. I don't know. I don't know if this trend with uh, Republicans is going to continue, but just because the the way the, the way the electoral college is set up and the states that they have uh, that they dominate in in presidential elections, it does look like they're going to have a lot of difficulty winning popular vote majorities, just because of how populous the the Democratic uh, cities and states are and they're probably going to be winning more, you know, and then I'm not going to say it's going to happen every election, but when they do win, more than likely now, it's going to be through the Electoral College, which I think makes the system seem a little bit, not just unfair, but but the system is failing, I think. Yeah. Well,
0: oh, is yeah. the
1: system failing, or is the system actually working exactly as <laughs> it's supposed to? <laughs> you know, is it is it actually working as designed? Um, just not but against <laughs> against uh, the wishes of the people um, just briefly on on florida then um, from I'm reading an article here in the guardian from 2001 where they uh, polled the uh, fifty six thousand florida voters whose november 7th ballots uh, were discounted and 87 percent of those uh, voted for gore um so i mean as far as just actual voters are concerned gore did win florida and should have won the presidency but um as we've just been saying you know people voting for you is only a part of an election unfortunately um there's other stuff that goes on and uh republicans are often good at the other stuff that goes on i'd also like to mention that it wasn't actually mentioned here but during all this dick cheney also had a heart attack as well um between uh sort of while waiting for florida to basically be called so um yeah it's it's just a, a crazy sort of A few weeks in in American politics during that time, Uh, but thankfully Dick Cheney survived and we were all blessed with him as vice president. Um, That kind of moves us nicely on to the actual presidency itself and everything kind of leading up to uh, 9-11. Vaughn, do you want to just start us off there as as far as the the Bush presidency?
0: Yeah, Um, so Bush campaigned, um, as I said, on a lot of social issues, but there were a couple policy things that he did focus on. So he campaigned on cutting taxes. Um, He's a Republican in the modern U.S., so of course he did. And that was his first legislative priority. So the tax cut was for um, $1.35 trillion in the Economic Growth and Tax Relief Reconciliation Act of 2001. Um, And it was marginally bipartisan. Uh, Another campaign initiative was education reform, especially for low-income and minority communities. Most conservatives were very reluctant to put federal money into education, um, thinking it a state's issue. But ultimately, when Bush won the election on the grounds of education reform, uh, they relented and... ...created the No Child Left Behind Act of 2001. So the No Child Left Behind Act... ...set high standards and established measurable goals... ...based on standardized assessments in basic skills... ...to receive federal funding for public schools. Um, Each state... ...developed their own standards, though. And it wasn't a federal standard across all of these tests. Now... As I said earlier, we've talked about this before, and I've gotten very heated on education um, reform and policy. So what I'll say now is that No Child Left Behind eventually gained so much criticism from both sides that there was a bipartisan consensus to strip it in 2015 because it was just that bad. Um, It had heart, I guess. I mean, wanting to reform education in the U.S. is an excellent goal, one that I support wholeheartedly. But like, Jesus Christ, like standardized testing is just a fucking abomination. Um, Democratic Senator Ted Kennedy even co-wrote it. And he still condemned it after it was passed because Bush promised more federal funding for schools that wouldn't be earned by forcing children to perform on these asinine tests. Anyway, uh, those were the two main areas of concern in the uh, administration in its first nine months, along with some focus on campaign finance reform with a bill that was eventually signed into law in 2002 that limited political donations and expenditures that were later struck down anyway by the Supreme Court. On social issues, his first day in office, uh, Bush uh, Bush reinstated something called the Mexico City Policy that blocked federal aid to foreign NGOs that offered assistance to women seeking abortions on his literal first day in office. Um, In the first week, he made a commitment to channel federal money into faith-based service organizations. He also sought to decrease interventionism in foreign affairs uh, starting in March 2001 when he announced that the U.S. would not be implementing the Kyoto Protocol, which was a commitment treaty signed in 1997 that required nations to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Their legitimate response to it was that it would be unfair for the US to have to limit greenhouse gases when developing nations didn't have to because they weren't part of the consensus. Um, and then the administration questioned the legitimacy of climate change and fanned those flames even harder. So overall, just like a standard Republican presidency, uh, just run of the mill conservatism in the first nine months pre 9-11, And also after that, but that needs more context and we'll get there. Um, His approval ratings started around 55% and bounced between 63 and 51. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry.
1: (coughs) That that was not an assassination attempt by a Republican. That was just... um...
2: <laughs> she um, was running on the approval ratings, and she was. Happen.
1: Yes, I've, I was just looking at that as well, and I'm sure vaughn's going to continue on. But it is striking to look, if you specifically if you look at a graph or even just the the week by week uh, popularity numbers on Gallup for George Bush. I'm looking at it here, and September 7th to 10th, 51. September 14th to 15th, 86. I mean, I'm not sure there's ever been a jump like that in the space of a week in proper American politics. It is an astonishing polling number to to jump up. And um, yeah, he does. It was does a
2: hit. week where he wasn't making any flubs, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> American <laughs> people were so overjoyed. Yeah, I mean, September yeah. 21 to
1: 22, 90. You know, these are crazy numbers and they do start to come down. Again, if you look at the polling, it is, you know, as Vaughn was saying, it's sort of around 50 55% roughly numbers and then it jumps up to around 90 and then it's just generally speaking sort of going down diagonally kind of from then until he leaves office and the so the two last numbers I'm seeing here are 25 and then eventually sort of 34 once he's out the door it's uh, astonishing numbers for, for Bush sorry Vaughn you were saying
0: no you're grand thank you guys um First I, me there. From, <laughs> I thought if
1: we just keep saying numbers until you eventually can breathe again, that would be the best way to go.
0: Yeah, you're grand. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was just going to finish on that, that um, his approval ra- ratings shot up to 92% um, after 9-11. And I think it really helped that you said he, he had no kind of gaffes in that week. He wasn't flubbing anything. I I do think it really helped that he was literally reading to school children when he heard the news of 9-11 and there are all of those pictures of him
1: Mm -hmm, sitting
0: among children like that's probably the absolute optimal place to be when something of that magnitude happens right because all of your first pictures are going to be like he's this wholesome kind of character
1: yeah it is interesting as well because he probably was actually quite interested in what the kids were learning he was probably trying to take notes um (laughs) It's also probably worth noting, I do remember at the time there was some criticism about the fact that he kind of gets the whisper in the ear and then he stays in the classroom. Um, But obviously it didn't sort of immediately hit his poll numbers. But um, I do remember that being a thing, at least over here in the United Kingdom, that um, there was some sort of questioning the fact that he got this uh, residency altering news. And um, I don't know what they were expecting to do. They were kind of everyone was expecting to sort of kick the children out of the way as they ran for the door. But and I, do I think
2: on the, on the news channels as well, people, especially on the day, were saying, you know, where's the president? Where's the president? You know, and well, the, uh, the
1: president was in New York. Um, yeah, he was and, the, and, the mayor of America. Oh, so.
2: where's <laughs> Giuliani? Where's Giuliani? <laughs> and he was there. <laughs> Giuliani. Was <there. laughs> but. Uh, no, people were saying that, and uh, it, but it wasn't until uh, Bush, you know, went to um, went to Ground Zero, uh, started to talk to people. Um, you know, people. Was, there was a guy saying, "We can't hear you," uh, and uh, Bush said, "No, you can, you you can, you can hear me now." And the and the people who did this will hear us soon. And uh, the thing about Bush was that, you know some republicans uh, even republicans up to this point didn't know if bush w- was ready for the job didn't know if he was up to it and uh, and you know although he won this election he won it very narrowly many people uh, were dismissive of, of his his capacities or, or unsure about him and it would only be after 9-11 as you know the poll numbers have, have shown that uh, he really grabs the attention of the nation and uh, becomes the, the the person that uh, we we know today, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Um. Sorry, Von. Was there anything else you were wanting to add in you know, on on this particular track?
0: Um. No, I don't think so. Just genuinely, like a really standard re- Republican presidency. Right at the start, there he hit tax cuts. He hit one <laughs> kind of social policy thing being education reform um, that he named. And then there was this kind of um, uh, campaign finance reform. There was also... Um... Nope, I lost it.
1: Oh, have we lost Vaughn? I think are you are you still there, Vaughn? You're <laughs> still there. Okay, that that's fine.
0: I'm having trouble with my <clears throat> my voice at the moment.
1: <laughs> okay, well we we'll, we were going to ask Vaughn to do a musical number at the end, but perhaps we can push that back to uh, the next episode. Um, if if your 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 singing has maybe left us for this week, you can maybe just
0: What was the song, Simon? What was, what was I going <laughs> to?
2: <laughs> you were going to sing the the notes uh, that they were hitting like tax cuts which was, was a yeah, was a Republican I, musician.
1: I was thinking that Vaughn could just do the national anthem for us because I'm sure there there's nothing that Vaughn would like to do more than put her hand over her chest and
2: um, you know look up an
1: American flag and and do all that kind of stuff.:
0: A dramatic reading of the Pledge of Allegiance.
2: Vaughn was so full into that mccain uh, that McCain loving. Today. Yeah, as well yeah, really. pretty
1: much. Yeah, it is interesting. As soon as we got past the election, and well, I, 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 I don't you know, I, I tried to end
2: dodge end. it, but it was all positive. I was like, oh, <laughs> <this is terrible."> <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> god. Okay, yeah. Um, so that that kind of leaves us up to the point where where, um, this episode is kind of focusing on, which is the 2000 election, which, as we say, was such a a, a turning point for American politics, and what we got out of it to begin with was what looked like a fairly standard republican uh, playbook um things that came after 9/11 um you know such as the financial collapse and you know the removing of red tape and the kind of restrictions within um how how sort of financial systems work um you know we'll, we'll cover that in later episodes and we'll, we'll, we'll We'll cover 9-11 and the Iraq war specifically uh, in so the next episodes of, of what comes next with the George uh, W. Bush presidency. Um before we kind of get onto an alternative sort of history of what happens if, if Gore wins, is there anything else you guys just want to add on kind of George W. Bush either on either on the election itself or on his kind of presidency up to 9-11? Because what I was going to add was that I think it's it's fascinating to have such a turning point in a presidency, you know, as a sort of singular action as, as far as what a president is and isn't sort of before an event. And then, you know, the fact that we have basically a 90% approval rating, um, so sort of the week following the, the events of 9 11, it's, I don't think it, it can kind of be. Understood in sort of normal day to day politics, the where America was, and we'll, we'll get into this in proper details in the next episodes, but just where America was uh, post 9 11 and indeed even even up to 2004 election. And I think it would be there are a whole host of reasons why why we wouldn't want 9 11 to happen, on even just on a purely political level, just how that election, how 2000 to 2004 would have played out, and indeed who Democrats would have run. Um, in 2004, and and just how 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 we might have been seen a sort of standard 2004 election rather than a post 9/11 2000 election, and uh, sort of what what American what Democrat and Republicans sort of look like um, between 2000 and 2008. If 9/11 didn't happen, then I think that yeah it, it's, it's fascinating to think about if we just had a sort of standard george w bush presidency and whether or not he would have been a one-term president or, or whether or not he, he would have been able to, to win again in 2004 without the, the bump that he got um so sort of around the time of the iraq war
2: and what are the analogues to this really is the cuban missile crisis one yeah, or yeah. the bay of pigs maybe you know you know, it
1: it's so hard because nine eleven is such a such a sort of an event un, un, unto itself because it is both a uh, sort of vicious assault on ordinary day people. You know, this, this wasn't a military attack. It wasn't a military base or anything like that. This was people living their lives, and then on top of that, the actual event itself is so kind of like crazy and so almost Hollywood in the fact that it's commercial airplanes being flown into massive structures. It's 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 hard to kind of process that as an actual real event compared to something that appears in a, a TV show or a film. And I, I, I think it is difficult for the mind to kind of fully comprehend that. And the fact that it happened in 2001 rather than 1961 uh, meant that, you you do have kind of more on-the-ground reporting of it in in a way just with the fact that, you know, technology and TV cameras and either people with their own video cameras, you know, just recording their day in New York or, or the fact that TV cameras were able to kind of um, get the second tower being hit kind of as live footage is something that is, again, I think as a, not to take it kind of on a too deep a level, but I think we are still trying to fully understand technology and how the world communicates in a way that is kind of real to us because you think of all human history either an event happens to you and you directly see it or you don't and then you hear reporting of it you know even if it's days or weeks or months later uh, be it in some sort of you know oral tradition from you know millions or, or thousands of years ago to you know when we have the written word you hear about it even up until um, you know, people reading about things in, in a paper, you know, the following days, you think of something like Pearl Harbor. You, now we're in the 21st century and these things are basically being live streamed. And I, th- I think it, it's, it, we're still trying to, just as we're still trying to grasp how things like the Internet is kind of affecting our brains and how we communicate and the fact that um, there, you can have warfare, which is built on people creating fake news on Facebook. I think we're still to some degree trying to get our minds fully around the fact that we can watch harrowing events happen in real world and in, in the real world and at real time. And 9 um, eleven, I think is just it's a perfect mix of being both a horrifying event and something that took place at a time where we could actually present it to to the world in real time. I think it's it's a, a terrible and an astonishing historical event.
2: Well, I think there's probably is no analog to it, probably because there is there is like a view of history. If you say uh, JFK becomes president in 1961, and then in April you have the Bay of Pigs, and then um, JFK starts to pull away from the CIA and uh, Allen and John Foster Dallas and then you know they kill him in and you know '63, so, and I guess that set up the the 60s uh, in in one sort of conspiratorial view of history but probably because um 9-11 is much more concrete in terms of the flow of history it it doesn't there doesn't seem to be an analog at the beginning of, a, of someone's presidency that completely changes the presidency and uh, the, the history of the world um you know the way it is, not just terrorism, but uh, actually the, the, the politics of America, the Republican Party um, so much. And probably, you know, the, the ripple effects will be felt uh, probably into the next century, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of takes us nicely on to the, the, the question I had, which which is kind of going to close this episode, which was, how do we think, how do we think things would play out if, if Gord won? And this is, you know, sort of counter-history and you can kind of take any number of different approaches to this. The, the two splits that I had in mind were um, based upon a little bit of research I've done is that A, some people thought that, um, or have speculated, not that anyone can know, that actually if Al Gore had won, maybe 9-11 doesn't happen um, because of his his background in um I think counterterrorism and that kind of stuff was actually um actually better than, than than on the republican side so it would and i believe actually um al gore had uh, and the democrats had actually um given reports on on the dangers of of um Osama bin laden and uh, al-qaeda and, and that kind of stuff so on on one track you could take it as how does sort of gore's presidency play out if it's sort of a normal term where he wins there's no 9 11 and then he sort of is is sort of trying to in some ways continue the the Clinton years and obviously that then plays into the fact that one of the reasons obama won was because you know bush was so unpopular and it felt like a turning point with this sort of new young uh, candidate and how do things play out if you know if if you don't have bush to kind of as, as the polar opposite of someone like obama and then on the other side you go well okay 9-11 happens anyway how does gore deal with it and again that's an interesting um idea of how does Gore as a candidate um, survive 2004? Because Bush has taken uh, America into war at that point. And it, it, for some, especially on the right, it's seen as a sort of patriotic duty to stick with Gore. Um, there's a question of if 9-11 happens, does Gore take um, America into Iraq, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So there are there are many sort of splinters within that. Um, but even just on, on the two kind of, 9-11 or no 9-11 it'd be fascinating to think about what does a 2004 election mean in those circumstances what does a 2008 election mean in, in those circumstances I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts on this
2: well I mean it's just it's, you know all counterfactuals but it's it's good fun I, I don't I think that 9-11 is a less historically contingent moment uh, because um, Gore comes in and, and the infra- infrastructure and security state that he would inherit would be the same and um, and Osama bin Laden had you know he'd done some stuff in Africa. Um, there was uh, the, the bombing of a U.S. Uh, ship. There was obviously the actually first attempt at the bombing of the the World Trade Center in, in the 1990s. Hmm. And I think it you know and, and I think the plan I think the 9/11 would have happened. Um, I, I think the because of the the infrastructure the security infrastructure I think they would have failed and Mm. 9-11 would have happened and I think that Gore's bump would have been less than Bush's bump because it would have been seen and I you know I the the evidence I have is small but just from listening to radio from that point in time many people saw Clinton years as you know very successful financially but maybe a feat in a little decadent and uh, they would have blamed the Democrats I think more than they blamed Bush for the the thing that actually happened And uh, he he would have probably had an increase in his in his polling rating, but he probably wouldn't have had the same increase. I think they probably would have gone into Afghanistan. I don't know about uh, Iraq. I think it's unlikely because uh, Iraq and and Iran were projects of uh, neoconservative um, think tanks and uh, uh, planners, uh, projects of uh, Cheney and Rumsfeld and, and the sort of wider... Uh, neoconservative intellectual and military infrastructure and architecture that i don't necessarily think someone like gore uh, was plugged into so i think afghanistan would have happened um i think it would uh, i think overall um if he had shown the strength in afghanistan it would have been uh, okay for his presidency good for his presidency but i think that actually the republicans could have run quite strongly on you know where the where the party of uh, national security we're the party of uh, anti-terrorism we're the party of you know running on jingoistic um, language and uh, contradistinction and I think that the the 2004 election probably would have been quite hotly contested um, in that uh, other dimension uh, and to be honest like you know the other dimension is just the butterfly ballot away hanging chat away you know, uh, maybe someone sneezes the wrong way in one of the Miami Day counting rooms, and and things are all different. So, I mean, that 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 is a very historically contingent moment. I think less so probably than the nine eleven. I think in that system, you have Gore, but you have nine eleven, uh, and you probably have Afghanistan, but you don't have Iraq.
1: So, so that's generally where I saw it sort of landed as well, and it would have been. Uh, something along the, I mean, who knows, this is complete speculation on counterfactuals. as you said, but that's sort of roughly uh, was my thinking as far as where Democrats and Republicans, and specifically, I think the, the framing of Gore and Democrats as being weak on national security, I think is something we would have seen much more heavily played in the media, obviously, especially on the right, compared to um, the criticisms or lack thereof on the sort of Republican side. And I think that's just in part because that's kind of how they're framed just specifically, you know, even if it's incorrectly, I think, um, I think it it is often seen that, you know, if you're a liberal, you're, you're somehow weak on defense. um, Whereas on your Republican, you're somehow strong on defense. That's just some sort of um, mindset thing, which is seem to be harped into uh, the American public, even if it's from specific media and has become a result as of, sort of a fact after, after that, or if it's something else. Um, Vaughn, any, any thoughts on our wild speculations that we're doing with history here?
0: Um, I don't think I would deviate too far from uh, either of what you've just said for the kind of immediate years. I think it would be interesting in a kind of broader strokes of the last 20 years if Gore um, had won, because he would have implemented some uh greener kind of industries early on and we know that shifting to green infra- infrastructure is a massive jobs creator so i wonder if um if gore wins and we have an administration who uh, which is kind of hardlining that yes climate change is real and uh, these are the plans that we're going to implement to fight back against it, and we have a more environmentally uh, conscious administration. I wonder if, if that impacts things on a large scale, because one of the most um, impressive feats of Republicans in the 20th, 21st century is convincing people that science isn't real. And we Mm. have seen how that played out in the last couple years, um, how devastating it can be for both the climate and pandemics and all sorts of things if you get your base to just distrust experts and scientists. So I really wonder if we would have a very different relationship with both the environment and also with scientists as a result of gore, but also with um, kind of culture wars and the the social issues that they were campaigning on if the democrats didn't falter in this election and kind of set the the tone for how far republicans can go with their social conservative bullshit i wonder if we would have had different elections um especially in 2016 and 2020 as a as a result of democrats actually being strong against it and having a response um
2: No, absolutely. I I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, Just from your first point, from both the foreign policy angle and in terms of the economy, Gore would have been in place to implement these kinds of uh, environmental policies. I mean, Gore, going as far back as the 1980s and the early 1990s, wrote the book Earth and balance where he talked about you know our our dysfunctional civilization has developed a numbness that prevents us from feeling the pain of our alienation uh from our world and and all these kinds of things read you know like quite radically and clearly this is someone who wrote a book who has quite radical language who has feels particularly then you know he made all these documentaries feels particularly um emboldened by um, climate change policy, and I think he would have been probably most significant world leader, in my opinion, on uh, climate change reform uh, policy, both in terms of foreign policy and um, in terms of the the economy it, itself. And uh, that would have been uh, good for, for the economy. Obviously, he would have run up against um, many entrenched interests, but he he really couldn't talk that much about it on the on the stump because, you know, at that time. You know, being a centrist Democrat, they feared, they feared a lot of that, and I, and I do think, um, you know, the Bush presidency, because of the, the deceit of uh, Bush, Cheney, uh, Rums, Rumsfeld, Colin Powell, um, and and the, the anti-intellectualism uh, that 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 came with that uh, that group, the you know, uh, I I think that that really set. The American public against experts um, uh, and towards more, you know, like politics is about feelings and uh, anything can be questioned and uh, even going even further into social issues and and things like that. No, so yeah, I I agree on both uh, the points you made.
1: It's always kind of hard to have a full grasp on these things. I mean, you you have to think about if. Gore had won, and we've been trying to speculate about what well, Bush had won. How many of us would have said, oh, "Well, eight years later, we would have had the first black president." As a result, you know, it, it's 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 you know speculation for that reason because we, we can't know. But um, it it is uh, fascinating and often enticing to think about uh, an alternative history in this regard, especially as the 21st century has, for large parts, been an absolute shit show. So um, it is kind of alluring to, to think about an alternative history on this one. Um,
2: there is one. There's one last alternative, I think. Probably, you know, if you have eight years of Gore, unlikely but possible, then I think McCain probably would beat Obama, and Vaughn would be on this podcast defending the, the McCain presidency. And, uh, <laughs> that would that would be a bad, uh, bad counter. So
1: true. Oh god! Uh, just imagine Vaughn might have been like a young staffer or something. You know, she might have been like trying to rally votes or something for.
0: Well, well, I was. I was 14. Yeah, I guess I probably could have at that point. Interesting. <laughs> in I didn't I was I wasn't really a McCain fan when I was 14. I'm not really I I have a complicate complicated relationship with this, right? Because like I disagree with his his politics um and his opinions and everything. I just I have a lot of respect for the man. A lot more than I do for most other politicians um
1: yeah we understand anyway. it's very sim- it's very similar to how we feel about Nixon you know we don't agree with everything he's he's said and done but you know <laughs> there's 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 just a presence of Nixon that we we just oh. are, are in favor of I think that's fair to say um right oh, and also talking about environmental agents uh environmental agencies so remember it was it was Nixon who who brought in um EPA so
0: oh my you know. god yeah whatever
1: <laughs> yeah you, c- you could definitely call al gore sort of a junior nixon
0: yeah when, um, you, when you you're
2: saying hey, we don't agree with everything my mind is going oh what do i disagree with uh... <laughs> oh the racism of course yes
1: the, the racism was was not one of his best moments and the fact he recorded everything just come on come on nixon um right okay that that sets us up very nicely for future episodes we're going to do on the Bush presidency um yeah 2000 election just absolute mindfuck as to what happened in in a lot to do with the election but specifically Florida but then you know it is Florida so fair enough um any final thoughts on on the 2000 election guys before we close up
0: I mean you say it's an absolute mindfuck but like we lived through 2020 and we like, True. we like reported on 2020, yes. the three of us. So I don't know. Reading about the 2000 election, it definitely gave me some flashbacks, but it was also like, what a simpler time.
1: But at least, at least they did end up counting votes and stuff. And
0: yeah, would we let Scalia
2: do that shit? Oh, in
0: 2020. Okay, would we okay. let
2: Scalia do that shit in 2020? I don't think we would. Like, I think liberals were a little bit like, he just basically said, Well, if if this goes on, Bush is going to lose. And and uh, this ruling will never uh, have any president for any other ruling in the future. And, each, and,
1: and Democrats, we'll like, Oh, well, we have to hold up the, the secret pact. What yeah.
0: Is. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think we, would, I don't know,
2: we would at least write a very, very harsh letter. A strongly harsh yes. letter.
0: His literal Supreme Court justice. Like, published opinion was no, because Trump's gonna lose, or damn it, because um, Bush is gonna lose. It's like, wh- why are we okay with any of this? Oh my god, this election <laughs> pissed me off. This research really upset me, <laughs> just so you guys know.
2: <laughs> Scalia, but- Scalia, Scalia, I think he stayed. Um, you know, there, there was, I think the Supreme Court of Florida had let uh, carry on, and but and when they when Olsen is sent it to Scalia, Scalia uh, said, "Oh no, no, that stuff that stuff has to stop," uh, and 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 he hinted to the Republicans that it has to stop because <laughs> he's going to stop
1: <laughs> I'm personally in favour of Scalia just handpicking presidents. As far as I'm concerned, that's. I mean, he had he
2: really had a good good relationship with the Democrats on on the bench. I think um, they all liked him. This was very funny. I mean, so yeah.
1: I mean he's 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 a liberal king um right we should um we should probably close up there uh, before we piss off on anymore um thanks guys i really enjoyed this episode Um, vaughn i know you love learning more about republican presidents so um i hope you enjoyed this one
0: i did not but <laughs> 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 no it was great it was great i got to yell about standardized testing And talk about my complicated love for John McCain. So we're doing great.
1: We're back on form. (laughs) Right. Uh okay. Well, uh from Toby and from Vaughn and from myself, Simon, thank you very much for listening. And we'll have another episode for you in the near future. Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: Bye.